0: Welcome back to Discourses in the New Year. I hope everyone enjoyed the holidays with friends and family. I certainly try to do that and slow down. We are going to jump right back into it and continue with the Round Rock saga. This episode with Dustin Clark. He is a father, a parent rights uh, advocate, a Little League coach, and a former Army captain. Dustin, how are you?
1: I'm great, Pedro. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks so much for being here. I know that you're also a family guy, uh, so I appreciate you taking the time out of your day, out of your life to join me. I first heard about you when I was digging into the what I call the Potemkin village of conservatism in Texas, and I I, I didn't actually come across your story at first. It, it was only through doing a, a kind of deep dive into the appearance of these. Hardcore pornographic books uh, that are showing up in Texas public school libraries, not just at high schools, also at middle schools. Like, this is really graphic, disgusting stuff. And it was through writing about this, reading about this, that I found out through local reporting that you were at the center of a related but separate scandal. Where basically, I'll, I'll do a, a brief summary of it, and then I would like to. Uh, for you to, to walk us through this. Um, basically, after you told the school board that it was illegal for them to pass an unlawful tax increase, while well, district police, because the Round Rock School District actually has its own police force, not just like a school safety officer, but an entire department, and they were using them to arbitrarily lock parents out of the meeting, that shortly after that, uh, the police showed up at your door. They showed up at the door of another person named Jeremy Story, but that's that's for a different different episode. But basically, the, the cops show up at your door. Uh, you get booked and charged with disorderly conduct with intent to disrupt a meeting, and you are held at the Williamson County Jail overnight. Can you walk us through that whole ordeal?
1: Yeah, you summed it up pretty well, Pedro, um, And and a little clarification on why I spoke up during the board meeting. So the board meeting was uh, that you were just describing was September 14th. And the board meeting itself was a pretty contentious meeting because um, many may not know, but Governor Abbott, um, I believe over the summer, had issued an executive order that school districts could not enforce masks on students. And it was our assumption, me and many other parents, that that was how school was going to go once school started in mid-August. Um, Mid-August came and the school, the board of trustees decided to uh, hold a meeting and they voted to, instit- to um, kind of thumb their nose at the governor and they instituted a mask requirement anyway. They did, however, give uh, an opt-out where anybody could opt out for any reason. Uh, they got a lot of blowback for that, and a week later, held another board meeting and limited the opt-out to medical exemptions only, requiring, you know, parents to uh, jump through hoops to now go see their doctor and try to get a medical exemption. And many doctors in the area weren't weren't giving medical exemptions, um, which would be real costly for for many parents. Um, I I wasn't uh, crazy about my kids wearing masks, but it also wasn't um, the end of the world. I didn't want them to wear a mask if the governor for me, it was all about following the rule of the law governor has issued an executive order. We followed the executive orders for the last year when, when he had instituted, you know, masking requirements and they were in the schools. Now the governor has issued this executive order. And my assumption was the school board was going to uh, follow the rule of law. So in in August I had spoke up a number of times about, you know, I wanted them to follow the rule of law. I, I didn't want my children to wear masks, but more importantly, follow the rule of the law. Um, so in September, um, they were revisiting this policy that they had instituted because when they instituted it in august they put a, a 30-day um, uh, thing on it where they would revisit it and revote so the september 14th meeting had a lot of people there to come out and 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 re uh, or give more public comments about you know ending this mass mandate following the rule of law and then of course the other side there was there were a number of folks there to advocate for it i wasn't there to talk about that i was actually there to talk about some issues of misconduct going on with the superintendent that had been actually first exposed a month prior by that Jeremy story you were mentioning. Um, but in that meeting, they had reduced the number of chairs. So the, the capacity of that room, the fire marshal placard um, on the wall says 375. But right. um, up until a couple of months ago, very few people come to these school board meetings. And so they typically have about 100 to 150 chairs in there. At this meeting on September 14th, they had 18 chairs. I, I say that again, 18, one eight. So they reduced it down from over 100 chairs to 18. Um, and once those seats started to fill up, um, the school district police, like you mentioned earlier, our school district. And there's a couple of school districts here in Texas that do have their own uh, police force. And by Texas law, they answer to the superintendent. So they're, the, the, the chain of command is chief of police a superintendent chief of police you know chief police right. as a superintendent what could go wrong yeah what could go wrong with that an educator um who has no police or you know I, I don't I'm assuming has no uh, police or military any sort of uh, law enforcement training is now in charge of an entire police force um so so in that uh, once the room started to fill up and actually I had, I had heard from somebody that, that they were going to reduce the number of chairs and so I brought a lawn chair and I happened to get there about 45 minutes before the before the meeting started. And I the chairs were already full. The The police weren't blocking the door at this point. And I set my my chair down at the back of the room. I had a district uh, staff member come up and say, hey, you need to leave. You can have this chair in here. And I said, well, is that a policy? Like what where are you getting that from? And she said, well, that's just what they said. And I said, well, who, who is they? And she said district leadership Well, can, can you name somebody and she she wouldn't she wouldn't name who said this and i said well if you can show me that this isn't a policy that's been approved you know and is posted somewhere documented somewhere then then i'll, I'll reconsider i said but this is an open meeting and i i have a right to be here i'm a community member i have children in the school district so i'm going to sit here and i sat sat back down in my chair a few minutes later i saw the police move over to those uh, open doors there's kind of like a double door system And um, the doors were open, but instead of closing them, they just stood in the doorway, two police officers blocking the doors, not letting anyone else in. And I thought that was really odd because they they had never done that before. And I I thought it was really odd that that they were they were doing this. Now, keep in mind, the month prior, um, the superintendent had had it was the first time he had been uh, it had been exposed, that there was some misconduct and some allegations of assault and. Um, myself and a number of other community members were planning to speak about it. I believe it was a little bit of, um, some suppression, oppression, whatever you want to call it, uh, tactic mm-hmm. to, to control the optics, to control the room, to make it look like nothing to see here
0: and without closing the door.
1: W- yeah. Without closing the door. So it ended up starting, it started to get a little, uh, uh rambunctious outside the boardroom because folks were, uh, arriving and realizing that they were not being led into an open meeting. Um, and, and so as folks started to get upset, they're asking the police officers, you know, why, why are you blocking the door? Who, you know, what's, what's allowing you to do this? The police officers would not answer them. They would not say why they were there. They wouldn't say why they were blocking the door. They wouldn't say why the chairs were limited. They would not answer them. Um, so the meeting, st- uh, was about to start. And as it started a couple of the, two of the seven trustees, um, Danielle Weston and Mary bone, um. They started to question this. Who? Why are we keeping the community out? Why? Uh, who's made this policy? There was some back and forth discussion. It ended up the superintendent admitted, "Oh, I, I made this policy." And, and so they asked, "Well, where is it? Where is it documented?" Well, it's not documented. I, I just, I just made this decision. I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit. Um, and and so there was it some was back. That much different. Yeah, there was some back and forth, and then a couple of the board members said, "Well, it's because COVID cases are rising." And um, and and so they they still kind of, there was some contention there. So they ended up putting it to a vote. And they voted five to two to continue to limit these chairs. Um, now, again, remember, I'm I'm not sitting in one of the the government approved 18 chairs. I'm sitting in my own, um, you know, my own folding tailgate style chair. And uh, the meeting starts. Uh, some of the community members, they usually do public comments first. Um, sometimes they divide up the community uh, the public comments based on the topic. sometimes, um, they'll let agenda items, if you're speaking on a specific agenda item, you go first. Mm-hmm. and then if it's um, you're talking about something off topic, you you speak towards the end. They also uh, have started this thing, which I, I really like that they have this they let the students speak first because there was a meeting a few months back where some students didn't get to speak till one o'clock in the morning. So good on them. They started front loading the the students. anyway, kind of going the long route here, but um, as the meeting went on, they got to an agenda item um, to talk about the property taxes. Um, just before they did, uh, a, a few minutes before that, um, actually, let I, I, I me mean, back up. As the meeting started and the vote went five to two, the two board members that voted um, to allow the public to come in, and um, in, in, I believe in their mind, they thought that what they were doing may be violating the Texas Open Meetings Act, and I believe one of them said as much. And so they want they recused themselves from the meeting and they quietly and peacefully left the right. meeting. Mary um, Bone
0: told me about this that yeah she said that she felt extremely uncomfortable Correct. with the whole with the whole affair and mm-hmm. that the the, the use of the police of, mm-hmm. right the actions of the police made her very uncomfortable and she yeah. ultimately threw her hands up and said i i don't want to be involved in this i don't yeah. want to play a part in this so
1: yeah and and, and they didn't make a big deal that the, these two ladies did not make a big deal they did not pro- protest they did not holler and scream um they just said you know we, we believe we're potentially violating the Open Meetings Act. And and because if they continue to sit there and participate, they're complicit in doing it, right? And so 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 they left. Shortly after that, they start to talk about this agenda item to um, to raise the property tax rate because 3,000 students had fled the district. Now they've got a $30 million shortfall. And so rather than look at how they can c- cut costs like most government entities, they just look at how can we take more taxes from the community. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't necessarily upset about that but that was not what the agenda, the agenda item had posted a specific tax rate that they had already um, discussed months before. And so I, I believe the way the law reads is they can only vote on what they propo- what, what is in the agenda. Right. And uh, But instead they started to talk about they're gonna have to raise that rate uh, because of this shortfall, this $30 million shortfall. And I'm, I'm looking around and after some of the people had spoke um, Um, for some of the earlier public comments, there were now five open chairs and the police officers were still not letting people in. They weren't refilling those open chairs. And so it was at that moment, I thought they're, they're going to raise the, the community's property taxes. Um, they're already limiting the chairs, which had already kind of upset me. And I believe wasn't violation of meetings act, but then they weren't even adhering to their own new policy of these 18 chairs. They weren't refilling the chairs. And so I, I spoke up as they started talking about, I said, you have to stop this meeting. You can't talk about raising the, pro- the public's property right. taxes while keeping them out. You're not refilling the chairs. There's open chairs here. You've got police officers blocking the door. What's going on? And I got a warning. So the, the way they do things is they give you a warning if you're, if you're, um, if you're speaking up um, when it's not your turn in public comments. And so I got a warning and um, they said, you have to stop talking. And I said, I'm not gonna stop talking. What you're doing is wrong. You're keeping the community out. You're not refilling the chairs. You're not adhering to your own policy. You're raising the property taxes. It's not the the, uh, tax rate that's not even on the agenda. You have to stop this. And it was at that moment, um, the board president uh, waved or asked for the the district police officers because there were some additional police officers inside the room and she requested they escort me out. So they came and, and kind of took me by both arms, one on each side took me out the back and out the back door, and then we went our separate ways. They went in, I, back inside. I left the meeting completely, and then the police show up at my door uh, three days later to arrest me. um said they have a warrant for arrest for disrupting proceedings. Um, uh, I'm, sorry, proceedings. I'm sorry, hindering proceedings. I'm sorry but did they uh, say no,
0: anything to you as they were leading you out of the room?
1: no, they they just said you have to come with us, Mr. Clark, and I said, I, you know I, I, I I'm in a public meeting. You, you can't take me out like this. and so i I, I went with them. Um, not completely resisting, but also not just walking on my own accord. you know i was I was in the right. moment, I was not caught happy up in the moment. This. Yeah. yeah, it was people it was... are
0: basically going to uh, raise your taxes and make yeah. your life harder,, yeah. and you're just supposed to take it and,
1: and you know in that in that moment, um you know we you and I talked uh, earlier the other day about um, um how we li- we live where I live in this school district in this county. It's a fairly conservative county in terms of um public officials, elected officials. And it was, it was just mind blowing. And I mean, it really was shocking to me to see the, all of this happening in what I believed to be a county that was a pretty conservative county that valued the rule of law. right? And and so I, I really was beside myself in that moment. And and so the police did not say anything to me, except, uh, they did say one thing, when we got outside the door. They, they looked at me and, and they had body cams on and they said, are you okay? And I said, yes. And they said, are you okay? And I said, yes. And I'm guessing that's, you know, kind of, maybe protocol to make sure that they didn't injure me. I didn't get hurt on the way out
0: for you. (laughs)
1: Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably, you know, protection for them. I get it. I understand, you know, and not very supportive of law enforcement officers, you know, and they were kind of, kind of doing what they're told, but I didn't agree with them. You know, there's, there's something to be said for just doing what you're told. But, um, I did on my way out, I I was talking to them. I said, you know, you swore an oath to uphold the rule of law. What you're doing is wrong. I was telling them, the police officers that I believe what they were doing was wrong. They, but they didn't answer they d- they didn't say anything. they didn't respond back to that other than when we got outside and and they and they asked if I was okay,
0: man. I wonder what kind of mental state you have to put yourself in to do something like that because yeah. there's really no i mean, surely you can say I'm just doing my job, but it's just objectively wrong and it's not just object it's just it's terribly wrong. so i yeah. i don't know. I'd have to I can't imagine what kind of um state of mind you have to be in when you're doing something like that, especially when you live in Texas and there, you have this culture of, you know, people talk a whole lot about freedom down in Texas and you're, you're involved in this kind of stuff. It's just, there's, I don't know. I wonder if their conscience uh, hurts them. And it'd be interesting to see if any of them would ever blow the whistle on what round rock is having them do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, uh, I'd be very interested to, to know that too. And, and, you know, I've gone to, i've continued to go to these school board meetings um every time they've had one since i i i made up my mind even um as i was sitting in the squad car on the way to the, to the police station so you know what unless um uh, i'm given a um uh, a directive by a judge or something is at the end of all this right. that says i'm not I'm, I'm restricted or restrained from going on school district property i'm not gonna let these actions of whoever coordinated this, whether you know, is the chief of police or the superintendent, or the board of trustees, I'm not going to let them suppress me. I'm going to, or, or, or I guess better word is intimidate me. It felt like intimidation. It felt like it intimidation is. from the board, from the, from the police at the direction of either the board or the superintendent. You know, I, I, I'm only speculating here, but yeah. it felt like intimidation, but I wasn't going to let that happen. I, I served 13 years Active duty in the army. I've I've been to Afghanistan twice, Iraq once. I've been to Korea. I I've seen I, I've seen countries that that don't have what we have, and I didn't serve for thirteen years to watch it deteriorate in in a county that I know uh subscribes to conservative values. Right. And so I went back. And I now have gone back to every board meeting since.
0: Yeah, I think that's it's poignant uh, and sad and in mm-hmm. many different ways. But yeah, I mean, you, you give a good part of your life um, to to this country and then you come home and you well, uh, it doesn't feel like your country anymore, does it? No.
1: Like, and, 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 and yeah, in, in many respects, you know, and um, I think this year, um, uh, you know, and I don't want to go off on a, a political tangent here, but watching some of the things that the Biden administration has done and, and has tried to do um, it's very disappointing to watch um our country lean more towards and, and maybe i'm being a little kind here but an authoritarian style authoritarian style government and you, it's funny The thing it's, that i've
0: noticed from sorry I, but the the okay. thing that i've already picked up on from you is that you're uh you're very good-natured almost too much uh almost too good-natured <laughs> but that's that's a good thing uh but yeah. i mean you you uh you immediately it sounds like Kind of sympathize or at least gave the benefit of the doubt to law enforcement i mean that's honestly that's not what i would have done mentally yeah. um so no you're, you're a good person it shows yeah. on. And, and,
1: and part of that part of that um i think being sympathetic to the police officers um, is i've watched since the um what i like to call the summer uh, 2020 summer of love i've watched what police officers uh, have had to go through in our country in terms of lack of support from politicians lack of support um from some groups in the community um outright attacks and you know riots and looting and um a lot of times the police are are told to stand down and just watch this stuff occur and to watch their their fellow brothers and sisters in blue um you know be assaulted with water bottles and rocks and um it's it's been disturbing to see. And so I think that's a lot where a lot of my sympathy for the law enforcement comes from. I have to imagine that um, all law enforcement across our country is experiencing some sort of you know emotional trauma and wondering, you know, a lot of times I'm serving my my country here. I'm serving my local community as a law enforcement officer, but I don't feel supported. And so yeah. th- I think that's where a little bit of my sympathy from them comes. But um, similar in the army, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're sworn to obey orders of our officers um, over us, but we're not sworn to obey orders that are unlawful or, or or immoral or or unethical. And that's where I have a problem. So I do have a problem with some of the choices they made, but I do recognize that um, it's been tough to be a law enforcement officer over these last couple of years.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. But I think there's a real problem here. And I don't think that it's like a deliberate thing in the sense that it's like a conscious decision by them. But I think that it follows that as police forces and as policing kind of pulls back from actually policing violent crime and and rioters and looters and stuff like that, somebody's got to get policed, right? And unfortunately, it's more and more people like you.
1: Yeah, no, you make a great point as you... Before you said it, I, I was thinking that as I was sitting here thinking, listen, listening to you talk, I started to think, you know, everything I just said about um, what they have been told they're not allowed to do, but then seeing what they are doing, which is arresting, you know, parents like myself and, and Mr. Story, and and then hearing or seeing the letter come out from Merrick Garland, this was around the same time, right around the time of my, of my arrest. Um, so that was, that was September 17th. And I'm trying to remember, I don't know if you recall when it that was letter closed. from, yeah, it was we, right around that same time. Yeah. yeah and we're, so so we're, the, to recap
0: uh, for the audience, it's, it's when Merrick Garland basically declared that their uh, parents posed like a terroristic threat to schools mm-hmm. and that the, the federal government, federal authorities would be uh, basically flagging parents showing up at school board meetings and, and protesting various uh, injustices and and problems legitimate problems uh that that would basically get you flagged uh by the fbi as a potential terrorist threat
1: yeah no you're right and and i'll tell you when when all that was happening um and and to what the point you just made a few minutes ago um it's it's been it's just been crazy to see it's been it's been crazy to see and and i question sometimes you know am i am i in the same country i was just two or three years ago when, when, like you just said, um, we watched rioters, looters, um, police, you, you know, police being essentially assaulted um, by these different rioters and very little being done about it. And then you get some parents at a school board meeting that are upset about the way things are being done because they're not following the letter of the law or, um, you know, you know, there's some intimidation and oppression. And now you're the domestic terrorist and the police um in, in conjunction with whoever is directing them, has no problem with showing up at your doorstep for a misdemeanor yeah, to yeah, take you to jail I, to have you spend the night.
0: And we're gonna we're gonna go there just just a moment. But I want to note also that Christopher Ray uh, w- is on the record saying that that he did not agree with uh, the Trump administration's hard stance, or he claims that they wanted a harder stance on BLM. I don't know what a harder stance was because they never they never took a hard stance at all. Uh, but Ray said that he he basically was worried that if the FBI would crack down on BLM rioting and looting, uh, that it would it would be perceived as him using the agency to oppress people of color.
1: Yeah. And and, it, and that's that's the card they play, right? Right. When when they don't have truth and logic on their side, um, the only card they have left to, to play is the race card. And it really is unfortunate because, um, you know, I, I can't. Put myself in the in the president's shoes. I can't put myself in the senator's shoes, but I have to guess that that goes through their mind, because and and think about some of the other events that happened over the course of twenty twenty. Um, they deployed federal agents to um, was it Seattle for the federal courthouse? I don't remember if it was Seattle now or Portland. Portland,
0: right? It was Oregon, yeah. Portland. And, Oregon. and
1: and and the immediate response from the media and the Democrats were that President Trump was sending in federal agents to you know, squash social rights activists, right? That, right? That's the kind of the messaging they use right. rather than, no, we've got people who are committing real crimes, acts of violence, and they're trying to burn down a federal building. And we're trying to put a stop to that. Rather, they're saying, they, they try to make it a race issue and it's not a race issue. It's a law and order issue, but they ended up, I believe, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they ended up having to pull those federal agents back and just yeah, let it was the writers mostly... do what they want to.
0: It was mostly, honestly, for show. I mean, there, there there's some inside baseball here. I did some reporting on it, but the the whole federal spooky guy crackdown in Portland, Oregon, was really, it was, it ultimately did nothing. Portland still had in all like a hundred days of riding, or yeah, um, it, it was just, it was really, it was interesting because the media reacted like you said, as if this was some terrible fascistic thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But in reality, it was really just theater. It was like we mm-hmm. have to do something. Okay, well let's let's send the feds to, to Oregon for a little bit. They'll mm-hmm. they'll we'll try to nab some some of the organizers. Uh, it's not clear, you know, like how severely they're going to be punished relative to the crime. Uh, but but then that whole operation concluded within maybe a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and then it yeah, was, it was like short. mission accomplished. We got mm-hmm. them. And, but then the rioting just continued, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) but then they have no, no problem, uh, cracking down indefinitely on parents. So, so you get arrested, Mm -hmm. you, you spend the night in jail, the cops show up at your house on an, on a, like basically around dinner time.
1: Correct. And it's the sheriff,
0: Mm -hmm. it's the sheriff, right? Uh,
1: yes. So, um, the, so the round rock, so earlier we talked about the school district having their own police, um. For obvious reasons, jurisdiction, right? They they can't come to my house and arrest me. Now, if I was on, at that moment um, when they took me out, um, if they believed I had committed a crime, they could have arrested me right there and then um, taken me to either the the city or the, or the county jail. Um, but because this was post, uh, you know, what they were alleging was the crime. This was three days later. Uh, they I, I've seen the document. So the Round Rock ISD Police Department issued the affidavit for warrant for arrest. They had the one of the county judges sign it and she signed it around noon. And by 5 p.m., I think it was right around 5 p.m., they were on my doorstep. Um, They were also this. was. It's funny because it was almost like it was a a coordinated, um, uh, you know, uh, bust on a cartel because they arrested me and this other gentleman, Mr. Story, at the same time because once I got processed and sat down on the bench, Jeremy came walking in five minutes later. So they, mo- they were able to coordinate and mobilize um, four. Right. So- actually, I think there were three squad cars at Jeremy's, two for me. So there was, there was five, a total of five squad cars, two police officers in each one. So, so the resources they used to go uh, serve warrants for two fathers that spoke at a board meeting for misdemeanors, it, it was a- another mind blowing moment to watch how quickly and And the amount of resources they would use to do this,
0: yeah, they, uh, you'd think that you uh, had attacked a federal building or something, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> federal courthouse, and, yeah, uh, or broke something
1: or looted something or stole something right. or hurt somebody. Yeah. yeah, this was not this was nonviolent. Neither Jeremy or I uh, made any threats to the board members. and And if you go back and watch the board meeting that I was taken out of, even when I was speaking up about the chairs, I never yelled. I I really probably talked about the same tone that we're talking right here. Might've elevated the the sound of the volume of my voice a little, but I wasn't threatening. I never threatened anyone. I never got violent and neither did Mr. Story. Um, So yeah, it was nonviolent misdemeanor and here they mobilize, you know, five squad cars, 10 police officers and a clandestine operation (laughs) to go get these domestic terrorists.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think an important note here that that bone mary bone noted this i don't know that i've seen it reported anywhere else it's really important and when i do a follow-up story on this i'm going to mention it but according to bone when she went to the jail um the the guy behind the desk was confused because they weren't actually holding people for misdemeanors at the jail due to the pandemic because the idea is that keeping these prisons crowded is is basically a uh a way to spread the virus so and Mm -hmm. so they were not jailing people for certain low-level offenses so like basically basically you shouldn't have been there and it it seems to have been like in violation of of their own own policies yeah Mm -hmm. is that right yeah
1: yeah no you're exactly right and um i I do want to give um credit where credit is due um the mary bone that you're talking about she's one of the trustees uh at round rock isd and um when she found out i got arrested She happens to live in my neighborhood. And before all this went down, I I didn't know her personally, but she showed up at my house and was here with my wife and a few others when they were trying to figure out what is going on, what just happened. And and she she went with my wife to Williamson County jail um to find out what you just said. And then she they stayed outside the county jail. So a a number of community members came out too. I think at one point there were like 75 to hundred people out there, kind of doing like a kind of a vigil type thing. Um and and she stayed the night outside with my wife and a handful of other folks all night long. They never went to sleep. They stayed out there all night until I got out the next morning. Um, but but to your point, yes, they went in and they talked to the um, to, to the front desk um, officer and they they you know, they were asking some questions like, hey, what's what are they charging him with? What's he in here for? You know, how long are they going to keep him? You know, is this normal? Do you normally do you normally make arrests uh, for misdemeanors? And, and that's kind of and they've got it recorded. Um, and, and that's when he kind of answered. He said, well, you know, we, no, we have a COVID policy right now. We're not making arrests for misdemeanors, you know? And so that, it, so that kind of a little light bulb went on. Of course, I, I wasn't there so I didn't hear it at the moment, but uh, later on, we realized that someone made an, well, obviously the sheriff had to have made an exception to their policy for this arrest to happen. And, and then it makes you ask the question, why did he make this exception. And who asked him to make this exception? If they weren't doing this, somebody had to ask for that. And if they asked for it, I would imagine a a good sheriff would ask for some sort of justification. And so there's this little missing puzzle piece that we've not figured out yet. And it must have been done over the phone because our attorney um, did some open records requests for emails to see if there were some emails back and forth between the sheriff and the school district. Nothing came back. So it seems, and I'm, I'm getting conjecture here, it seems that there was a phone call made from somebody uh, within the school district or school district police to request that the sheriff make an exception to arrest us for these misdemeanors, to make an exception to their COVID policy.
0: Yeah, that is, that's, that's the only conclusion here is mm-hmm. that this was. I mean, the the fact that you were simultaneously arrested with Jeremy's story, yeah, the fact that this policy. Uh, about who can and cannot be detained you know, in order to supposedly stop the spread—that uh, that that, didn't, that that was not factored in and, and prevent your arrest and your detention and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's impossible to conclude anything else that th- this was basically to send a message to intimidate two problem parents uh, who also happen to be leaders. Uh, as that's this is how Mary Bone described you and story as kind of as people look at you as kind of leaders as people that can represent the parent cause effectively. And so, I mean, if,
1: yeah, yeah. Second, and I, Go ahead. Yeah. And I, I, don't, uh, I, when it comes to leadership and, you know, part of it's from, um, you know, my time in the army, um, you, are a selfless leader and, you know, you don't, you don't walk around saying I'm a leader. If you have to walk around and say you're a leader, you're not a leader. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that had kinda, um, had kinda happened. Um, I don't know a better word for that. Um, it, it was organic, I guess. It, it became organic over the course of a couple of months um, as far back as June um, when Jeremy and myself, um, you know, started a, to meet with friends and other concerned parents about the superintendent that they were hiring. we, we There were already some yellowish or yellow and reddish flags um, about the superintendent that they were considering before they voted to hire him. And then over the course of the summer and then August and then September, we, we were rallying other parents that were just as concerned about these, this misconduct, about these allegations, about, you know, their, the uh, five of the board members disregard for the rule of law when it comes to the, um, when it comes to the, or came to the, the governor's executive order. And, and it, it really, it was neat to see that um, parents were starting to come together. There, there was a groundswell, kind of a grassroots kind of thing going on, and just you know, by de facto, uh, Jeremy and I being you know the um, the men of faith that we are, and, and that's where really what I uh, attribute all this to is that um, I, I I came to know Christ about uh, I guess 11, 12 years ago, and it's been a journey for me to understand what it really means to be. A man, you know, I don't like to call myself a Republican. I don't like to call myself a conservative. I'm a Christ follower first, and I believe, um, uh, you know, in in being an honorable man, taking care of uh, first loving God and then loving my wife and my family, and then everything else comes after that. Um, but also, um, you know, the Bible talks about that that we're to to we to be we are to be the vo- voice for the voiceless, for the for those who can't stand up for themselves. And um, I've watched or I look back on my life and I see my uh, my my walk with my faith and then the training from the army where the army used to have this acronym that that we um, that we kind of followed as leadership. It was L D R S H I P: loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity and personal courage. And I still live by those values. And I also live by an oath that um, every soldier takes, whether you're enlisted or officer. And that is that you support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The, the very first part of that I've never forgotten and I will never stop doing, and that is supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States. Um, I may not be going over to, overseas to another country um, to, to do that. But when I'm here at home and I'm watching uh, a local school board or local elected, elected officials uh, try to subvert the Constitution and subvert the rule of law, I just can't stand by and watch it. It's just, it's not in me anymore. You know, I, I'm not going to be that person. I've got a core um, in me that makes my backbone stiffen when things like that are going on. And I, I don't, I just, yeah. I don't have any tolerance for it.
0: Yeah. And I think, frankly, the the real threats are here. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, my own political evolution has led me to conclude when people say things like today, you know, we have to go over there to defend our freedoms or whatever, uh, I look at Texas and what's happening in Texas and all over the country, actually. And I think to myself, does actually right now sending people to Afghanistan uh, or Syria preserve my freedoms when a school school board can coordinate with the local sheriff to have you arrested? Yeah,
1: for no, this I, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I completely agree that um, because, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, the, the, the thought behind the oxygen mask that drops down um you know when when a plane is having trouble right you can't help those around you if you don't have the oxygen mask on if you aren't taking care first and and this was the same way in the army when we were taught um, first aid and and when uh medics are trained you you, if you're if you have a, a gunshot or any kind of wound at all you can't run over and help your buddy until you help yourself first because on your way to your buddy, or when you get to your buddy, if you die because you didn't put a tourniquet on your wound, now not only are you dead, he that di- he died. And right. so, same thing. I believe, you know, kind of there, there's there's some uh, there's some there's some relatable things to what you just said, in that we we can't keep going and be in the world police if if we can't even if we can't even hold our own constitution and our own values of not democracy but of a republic. You know, it's one thing to have democracy, but we are a republic. and if that deteriorates and that falls away and law and order falls away, and we start to let these false narratives and these false ideologies overtake those institutions in the name of some sort of uh, circular logic ideology, then then our country is doomed. And I don't like to be a doomsdayer i'm 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 more of an optimist than a pessimist, but um, I kind of, to your point, I'm looking around and I'm thinking we got things to fix here, not Afghanistan.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's not just as people like to say, Austin, it's yeah. not just Austin, Texas. This is happening all over Texas. My article sure. in Chronicles that kind of started this whole thing, um, this, the, my, my little saga that I'm doing now, um, it starts actually in Tarrant County, Texas, the seat of which is Fort Worth, which is Fort Worth is considered like a mecca for conservatives, isn't it? And Tarrant County is considered deeply conservative. Yeah, and and this stuff is happening there. It's happening yeah. all over Texas. It's not just Austin. And yeah. I think that's important because when you when you bring this stuff up to people, it's like, well, it's just Austin, Texas. Well, actually, it's not. Yeah. it's everywhere. It's it's in the reddest parts of Texas. And over time, the red parts turn blue. They might not turn blue uh, today or tomorrow, but they will eventually. By virtue of the fact that uh, the people that have these ideas also have your children,
1: yeah. and you
0: sent me some videos of different educators. Uh, one in particular named Jenny Gillis. Uh, these these are teachers in Texas who have no shame. They'll they'll publicly record themselves and and post these videos on TikTok uh, of them talking about how like Jenny did. You sent me one video where this this uh, English teacher at a high school in Texas. She she's having a kind of like mini meltdown over critical race theory bans, which she obviously opposes. In uh, one video, she went viral because she broke down weeping um, about the, basically what she sees as an inadequate uh, amount of mandates in schools, like forcing kids to wear masks in Texas, which she compared to basically uh, asking for a mass shooting.
1: Yeah, mass shooting. Just,
0: and this mm-hmm. is, this again, this is, in te- this is happening in Texas. Yeah. Uh, and after parents... Uh, like you protested the presence of these pornographic novels in in public schools, middle schools and high schools, uh, the response from teachers in Texas was to uh, do a basically like a perverted Dr. Seuss reading. Uh, this was uh, in the Austin, Texas area. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I mean, I think the, the media picks up on stuff that happens in Austin, like Fox News does that because it's so easy. But this is not obviously this is I just I just uh, said this is also happening in places like like Fort Worth. Uh, But in this case in Austin, uh, uh, there was a poetry reading where a teacher responded to parent criticism by by basically mocking Christian parents for being prudes because Mm -hmm. prudes because they don't want their kids to have access to to books that depict like the most perverse forms of sexual behavior and yeah, her and response if, and is not, you know, her response is not like, well, you know, these people. I'm, I'm a civil servant, basically, as an educator. Uh, these parents pay my friggin' salary. No, mm-hmm. it's to spit in their face and spit yeah. like to attack their values.
1: Yeah, and 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 y- you're you're exactly right, and and it's and it's disgusting the tactics that they use because this, you know, this educator went to a board meeting to do this Dr. Seuss style reading of parents who have conservative christian conservative values specifically she you know she called out christians like you said um for not wanting these books in the classroom and saying you know that we wanted to ban books and um most of us uh and and even in neighboring school districts that have been bringing these books um out out of the darkness and into the light literally um, to these school boards we're, we're not we're not trying to ban thought what we don't want in our libraries are books with pornographic descriptions and pornographic illustrations, and, and specifically two of the books that have that have garnered the most attention that uh, were found in our school district and a couple of the neighboring school districts. One of them is called Gender Queer, and 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 so and in there, it's it's mostly graphic illustrations, almost comic book style, but not, and um it, and it shows uh you know two transgender female students with, with strap on, um, uh, you know, uh, toys and performing oral sex on each other. And I don't want that. I don't even want that in my high school kids library. That's not where that belongs. If you want to learn about that stuff, maybe go put it in the public library or in the, because if, if you had that, if you had that in a magazine, you know, I don't know, a couple of years ago and these, you know, they used to have, um, pornographic magazines that is, uh, those are sexually explicit. And, and you can't buy that in a store unless you're an adult. Same thing, you know, with, with a pornographic movie. And I, and I know there's online porn now. And, and of course, then, then the excuse goes to, well, well, kids have phones. They can get it on their phone. That still doesn't make it okay just because they have access to it. And if they have access to it, if your child has access to it, that's your fault. Yeah. You, and have, you it's of, your job. Sorry, go
0: ahead. No, the, it's important to note that Timber Creek, this book, uh, that actually, uh, that that high school is in Fort Worth, which again, that is supposed to be a really conservative part of Texas. Mm-hmm. And that is where you have these books that depict uh, th- these, like this LGBT uh, mm-hmm. sexual practices, right? It's like, it, it's, I don't know, there, there's no, there's, it's actually very different. I'm trying to hold back from using yeah. uh, my, my normal language yeah. uh, that I use at home. Uh, around friends and family, uh, but I try to keep it PG on this podcast. But but here's the real implications of this. Um, you told me about this. I hadn't heard. I had not heard about this uh, in Texas. I'd heard about it elsewhere. But but there is a, a policy in some schools, or I'm not sure if it's some or all. But you told me that there's a policy in some schools where if a student comes out to a teacher, the teacher is not supposed to report it to the parents. Now, that kind that almost sound, I say almost almost sounds harmless, except for the fact that you consider these teachers are pushing it on kids yeah. like th- th- that's not a conspiracy. They brag about it on TikTok. Yeah. There, there are so many examples of teachers on TikTok who will say, my job is to basically help these kids realize that they're gay or trans. Mm-hmm. And I don't care that the parents don't want this to happen. In fact, uh, screw the parents. They're, yeah. uh, if they disagree with this, they're bigoted.
1: Yeah. So it's, yeah it's, person... it's,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it's being like... promoted. It's yes. being, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's almost like a promotion campaign. It's, right. it's being promoted and, yes. and, and you can call it, and we, we can call it for what it is. It's grooming in, in any other, yeah, fair. Uh, in, in any other, um, uh, you know, if you, if you go to a social worker or child, ser- or child protective services, if I'm constantly, um, promoting to my children, that they can be sexually active at very young ages, or that they, you know, that they can um, explore themselves sexually. I'm grooming them. I'm grooming them to think that this stuff is okay. And and it goes even further than um, you know the transgender stuff. It 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 really is a grooming for pedophilia. And I say that because one of the other books that has been in question that was um, around the same time that genderqueer was discovered was this uh, book called Lawn Boy. And in Lawn Boy, there were a number of sections in a couple of different chapters where and again, it's a graphic novel. This one didn't have illustrations, but it was graphically describing um, this this now grown man who was recalling back when he was 10 years old and he was describing having uh, oral sex with his other 10 year old friend. And, and it was talking about it very graphically and how they grabbed each other and what they, the things that they did to each other and where they did it and how they, and, and of course, guess where they did it. They described doing it at a church, right? And so it's this constant promotion and grooming of that. These things are okay. And, and these things are kind of normal and these things happen. And, and then you, and then you get to the teenage years where kids are now at this point, getting so confused that you get this gender dysphoria. They don't have a purpose. They don't understand what they're supposed to be because nobody is telling them. Well, first of all, this is the parents too. And and I can, I'm just as guilty of this. It is on the parent first. Uh, As parents, we have to start realizing that this stuff is happening in our schools. And if we aren't talking to our children about it, and instilling in them what they are and who they are and whose they are. If if you're if you're a follower of Christ, whose they are—that you are set apart, that you are designed a certain way for a certain purpose—and that yeah, from time to time, some men have um you know have femi- feminine tendencies, and some women you know have some masculine tendencies, and that's okay. You know, like if, if you ask my wife, I'm I'm a I'm a softy when it comes to my kids. Sometimes she's she's a little harder on them but that's okay. But also let's, let's, let's call it for what it is and identify that we are different. We're, we're different in our physical capabilities. We think a little different and that's okay. And, and it's funny that those, um, you know, on, on the left side of this argument, they want us to be accepting of people thinking a certain way, but only if it's their certain way. And I've kind of got off track on, on the whole, the gender ideology and and what we're seeing in those books and how the teachers are promoting it, but it is happening. It's happening in schools across Texas. And, and, and it, and it goes to this kind of concept. And I was talking, uh, I heard a pastor talking one of our pastors talking about this a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's like a garden. And as parents, if we aren't in there, and, and as Americans, really, it can go from parenting all the way through our, into our society. If we aren't in the garden, keeping these weeds out and pulling these weeds out, then our children get overtaken by these weeds and then they just become part of these weeds. And it's up to us to weed the garden. And right now I believe and, and I'm, I'm hopeful. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit of an optimist. I'm hopeful and I'm seeing that parents and community members are waking up and realizing that, Hey, we've got work to do. We've let too many weeds grow in the garden. We've got to get in there and start weeding that garden.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. That's all right. And unfortunately, as we wind this down we should remind people that the texas republicans uh, as much as they like to go on fox news and do all these like nice news hits and press releases and stuff uh, they're not actually doing a whole lot to help people like you
1: yeah no you're right and um you know even in our own community um you know those two trustees mary bow and, and danielle weston um, they've they've talked a number of times to to me and a few other community members about um, their effort as they've they've gone through these last couple of months of trying to push back on some of this stuff, where uh, five of the board members have really come against them and really railed against them to the point of issuing a censure, not censor, a, a censure resolution, uh, essentially saying you did these things we don't like, we're going to censure you, and here are your here's your punishment. And all the way to uh, to to where the punishment was going to be that they would not be able to um, serve on the school district uh, or be able to come on a school district property in their official capacity as a trustee. Now they had to go get a a restraining order for that, and now they're having to pay out of their own pocket to to fight this censorship. But. The point I'm trying to make is is what you said is we need the elected officials in this area. Well, all all conservative elected officials need to support folks like this, need to support parents like myself and Jeremy and others who are standing up for these conservative values. That's what we elect you to do. You have the power, you have the authority. And and it seems like when we look around, and even in our own county, that is rep- that is Republican controlled It is majority Republican in, in just about every office uh, with the exception of our school district. Um, And, and it seems like they're nowhere to be found when we need their help, when we need their support, when Mary and Danielle need their support, they're nowhere to be found or not nowhere to be found, but they're, they're, they're not outspoken. They're not, it doesn't look like they're there to help.
0: Yeah. It's because they're not, and they only will be if they feel pressure to do so. And that's, that's or why it's an election to year. Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. Uh, your story is important. It can't be told enough times. Uh, is there any way that people can follow you?
1: Um, I'm on Twitter, Dustin Clark one. Um, I'm not real big, uh, on Twitter or on social media. I don't, uh, you know, this, <laughs> you said it at the beginning, I, I'm really, I'm a father of four little league coach. Um, I I, I go to work. I love my family. I take care of my family. I'm I'm a part of my community. I serve at my church. I I don't, I'm not an activist in any way. I I don't seek the social media attention. Um, But if anyone is interested in uh, helping Jeremy Story and I with our legal defense, um, you know, we we are not uh, well off men by any stretch of the means. And uh, thankfully, a number of community members have come around us. And some have donated money towards our legal fight. And um, we're not just defending ourselves criminally. Um, we're going to take civil action against these these things that have been going on. We're not, like I said earlier, I, I can't stand by and tolerate this and watch, you know, um, watch our our country erode from the inside out. And and so, if you have listeners who would like to donate to our legal fund, um, Jeremy has set up a website, RiseForStudents.org. That's R-I-S-E for and the word students.org. And um, you can go on there and he's actually set up a a timeline of events that have occurred since June since hiring of the superintendent. So there's a pretty good timeline that explains um, some of the things that we've, um, we've been through and that we've experienced and that we're seeing. And then there's a link on there that folks can give if they'd like to give to our legal fight.
0: Awesome. I will be sure to promote that. uh, I hope People will heed that call and, and do something, uh, give what they can, and I'll be sure to promote that elsewhere. Thanks again, Dustin. Um, thanks again so much for your time, for telling your story. For Dustin Clark, this is Petro Gonzalez signing off. And Thank you, will you guys on the next episode of Discourses. No problem.